ushers are, are, are handing out the offering plates. Um, let me just let me introduce you to what our church is about. So we believe three things. Uh, they're at the core of, of who we are. And it's the biblical story that we see. And those three things are this. Number one, that there is hope beyond our brokenness. So every single person has a story of being broken. Um, if you're looking for the perfect church, you wrecked it the moment that you walked in the door. Right? I'm looking at you specifically, Don. Um, so what does that mean? It means, it means that, that, that the courage to follow Jesus is the courage to be honest about where, you, where in your life you're wrecked. And, and then to be able to say, okay, I'm not stuck there forever. I'm loved there. And then also God has something better for me. And so you have plenty of runway in this community of faith to, to be changed, to be renewed, to be restored. But that is what we do. Second, we believe that we are called to trust in our risen Savior. Jesus is alive. He's real. So we're not called to believe an idea. We're not called to agree with a particular intellectual set or political set of beliefs. Um, we're called to get to know the living, breathing God of the universe who is present in our midst right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that requires all of your honesty, all of your courage, all of your vulnerability. It requires your mind, your heart, your body, your strength. So what we're inviting you to, the, the Christian faith is the riskiest thing that you could do. Because you're going to do something that doesn't have you fully in control of your life, which that's called trust, right? Where we say, God, you know more than I do, so I'm willing to follow your directions. Third, we believe that we are called to bring restoration. You have a mission and a calling. You do not need to wait until you graduate from seminary. You don't need to wait until you, you feel perfect enough. You are called right now to pray, to bless, to help, to make a difference in this community called the kingdom of God. You have a role, no matter how young or how old you are. It doesn't matter what your story is. God wants to use your gifts and your calling so that you might be a blessing and you might find your purpose. Amen? Amen. So that's what we believe as a church. And there's a bird trying to get in. They want to be here. Yeah. I like that. That's good. So each one of these things, our hope, our trust, and our restoration, they have choices that we can make every day. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. There's choices that we make. So let's read this together. We do this every week. Ready? Here it is. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to be changed by Jesus. In choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So Heavenly Father, we pray your protection right now upon this space. We bind up everything opposed to Jesus that would be seeking to distract us or to interfere. Give that little bird rest as it's trying to peck its way into the sanctuary. And Jesus, we also pray for that you 
would do in us what we cannot do, change our affections, change what we want, use the power of your word to deliver us from evil, to transform our hearts, to renew our minds. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So today we start a new sermon series on the book of Joshua. And we'll be in Joshua for the next couple of months, and we'll end just a couple weeks before Easter. And before I start on this amazing book, I want to tell you a story. So I was at a wedding last night in the foothills. I was not performing the wedding. I was just at the wedding. I was at the wedding of, of, a, of a dear friend um, at, in the foothills of the Sierras, just south and east of Fresno, um, next to, in between the two little towns of Woodlake and Sanger, if you know where that is. Um, in this place called Wonder Valley Ranch. And if you've ever been there, all I could think of was it's, this is where ranch dressing is made and it's Hidden Valley Ranch. <laughs> so one of our closest friends, Debbie, her, her daughter, Callista, was getting married and oh my gosh, it was so much fun to be there. Um, and if, if, you had, if you had been plucked out of where you are and set down in this place, you would have seen this spectacular setting and and the setting was gorgeous, and everybody was dressed gorgeous. And they had a wonderful picture. Um, Debbie's husband, Dave, is a, is a police officer. He does a lot of undercover work. And they did a before and after picture of him undercover work and, and afterwards. And he looks about 75, and then he looks about 30, you know, and just the undercover work. And so he looked gorgeous. I said to Dave, yeah, I've never seen you look good before. And, uh, and he laughed. And, and, and the lights were gorgeous, and the food was gorgeous, and the, and the decorations were gorgeous, and it was gorgeous piled upon gorgeous. But I had x-ray glasses. See, I knew about the, the last six months of stress from my friend Debbie and Dave, the mother and the father of the bride. I knew about the terrible financial stress heaped upon their shoulders as their lovely daughters was completely obtuse to how much this was costing. I knew about the heartache of Debbie's heart as she was preparing to say goodbye to her daughter because her daughter wasn't just getting married. Her daughter was also leaving today for Colorado to start her new life with her husband in Colorado. And I knew a lot, all, all the little details of the groom's family and the messy divorce, which was sort of this sickness and vomit that was spreading in, in stress and heartache into the midst of all of this wedding. And I, I knew all these things. And yet during the wedding, I could see my friend Debbie, her heart melt when her future son-in-law was weeping while sharing his vows. And then I watched my friend Debbie apologize as she gave the mother of the bride speech in front of hundreds of people and told her son-in-law, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was more worried about my daughter leaving than welcoming you into our family. And then everybody's crying. And then Dave, this undercover police officer, is is crying as he's blessing his, his daughter. And, and I mean, everybody was just weeping. And, and, then, and then I saw the groom's parents stand up and, and, and work out their divorce in public over a microphone about which parent was better. And it was just, it was tragic to, to see. So I, I had x-ray glasses at the wedding. So what, what is a wedding? have to, anything to do with the book of Joshua. Well, as I was waiting for the wedding to start, the Holy Spirit gave me a nudge. 
And I was looking around at all the gorgeous piled upon gorgeous, and the Holy Spirit whispered to me, this is a picture of heaven. This is what we want to give our kids, our spouse, our grandkids, our friends. Amen? We want to create uh, this gorgeous space for the people that we love. We want to give them good gifts. We want to bless them. We want to send them on fabulous trips. Right? We want to, make, we want to give them incredible food. That's what we want to give the people in our lives that we love. Amen? Do you... Do you, do you want that? Say yes. yes. Good, thank you. Appreciate your encouragement. Now, the desire to give the people that we love good gifts is matched and also, and also exceeded by our desire to see their hearts also blessed. Like there would be nothing more tragic than to give your family member a gift and for them to be so angry or resentful or entitled that they wouldn't even be able to say thank you, right? Like we want to be able to, to not only help our family and our friends practically, but we also want to bless their hearts. And that's also what happens at a wedding. You toast people, you bless people, you, you tell good things to them, right? You encourage them, you make them feel like they're the center of the universe, and it doesn't matter how, how obtuse they are as to how expensive it is. You still do it, and you love them because you want them to feel absolutely special, right? Okay. Well, why do we want to do this? That bird is determined <laughs> to get in. Paul, can you shoo that bird away? Let's see what happens. Here we go. Yeah, it worked. It worked. Good job, Paul. If you're, if you're listening online, there was a, a four-foot-long hawk that was trying to get in to the sanctuary. It's not true. Why do we, why do we want to give good gifts to our, the people that we love? Why do we want to bless them? Well, that's because that's what, that's what God does for us. That's why. Like the origin, the reason why we have this heart is because this is what God has for us. This is how we're designed. Like God wants to give you good things. He wants to give you money so that you have resources, so that you can start businesses, so that you can bless people, so that you can make things easier and more joyful on this earth. But he also wants to give you a heart that can receive blessings. He wants to give you a heart that's tender towards him. He wanted to give you a heart that can apologize and can forgive. So he wants to give you good things, but he also wants to give you a good heart. And like, my words don't even come close to describing the weight of how much God loves you and what he has for you. My words are, are, are poverty compared to his blessing. Your heavenly Father's love for you is so great. The promises that he has for you, the things that he has waiting for you, are so amazing that you can't even comprehend the wedding feast that you will enter into. You can't even comprehend what God has for you right now. It's so much more. 
It's so much more. Now imagine, imagine a year from now, I were to hang out with Kliston Brent, who just got married last night, and I were to say, hey, how is your honeymoon to Disney World? Because they're going right now. And they say, oh, it was amazing. Well, it is amazing. I, the tickets are framed right here on the wall. And I said, so, so what was it like? What were the rides like? It was like, oh, we didn't go. I mean, like, we have the tickets. Isn't it great? What? Wait, what? You didn't go? No, the, the gift is the tickets, right? Oh, I, so I, would, I think I, if I were to experience that, I would be kind and maybe not confront them right away. And then I would ask, well, how's that cookware set that we got you? Is that, is that working out? Is that, and and, and Callista, what if Callista pointed to the box that was still wrapped and said, it's wonderful. It's right here. We love it. But then she would pull me aside and say, I got to tell you, though, like putting the steak right on the electric oven top is it's 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 hard to cook when you're married. Can you imagine? Like what if all the gifts that Callista and Brent got, they never opened? What if? What if they didn't move in together? What if they, what if they got married, but then they stepped, kept on living in their parents' house and dated once a week? How would they describe being married? Would they understand the joy and the hard work of marriage? No. Would they understand all the gifts and the blessings that, that come with the community that loves them? No. In fact, after a while, they'd probably start resenting the pile of gifts that are in their house because it's just taking up room. Does that make sense? Well, I know it doesn't make sense, but do you understand what I'm saying? But this is what we do with God. And this is the story of Joshua. Joshua is the story of God giving Israel a promised land flowing with milk and honey. It's all of the gifts from the wedding. It's the trip. It's the promised land. But it's far more land than they could imagine. It's far more gifts than they could imagine. And God's not even done. Like He wants to give even more than just stuff to his bride. He wants to give a new heart, a new spirit, everything. And Israel will open up some of the gifts. They'll occupy a small part of the land. But like us, they say things that don't make sense to God. When God gives them gifts and makes them promises, they say things like, well, I'm okay as I am. Well, I don't want to mess it up. Like, I don't know how to do this. Instead of having the courage to open up the new cookware set, they leave it wrapped, just like us. Well, why am I preaching on Joshua? Because you and I need hearts that can see the inheritance that we actually have with Jesus. We need hearts shaped by living as God's children. We don't need any more practice 
and living as though we are an orphan all alone. Amen? Amen. We need practice as living as God's beloved children with all of his promises for us, trusting and obeying him. We need hearts that are tender and oriented to God. Why? Why do we need those hearts? Because you have people in your life right now, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, the kids at school sitting next to you. Those people need you fully alive. They need your heart fully tender. They need to be loved by you in a way that would take their breath away so that they can see how much God loves them. They need you. So it's time. It's time to stop eating from the dumpster when God has prepared a gorgeous, piled upon gorgeous buffet for you. So how do we get such a heart? Well, Joshua is going to show us. But before we read, this is the world's longest introduction. Can I give you a little history about where we are so that you understand it? Okay, here we go. Genesis, the book of Genesis. Ready? Genesis starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And then all of a sudden, we have the story of Adam and Eve. And then we have the story of, of the flood. And some years go by. And then Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, who is a nomadic, wandering Iraqi sheep herder. Right? And then Abram and Sarah, they get... They get uh, God makes a covenant with them, and they're renewed and redeemed. And then they have a son, Isaac, right? And Isaac marries Rebekah, and they have two boys, right? And those boys are Jacob and Esau. Esau played football. Jacob programmed computers, right? <laughs> and Jacob, of course, tried to steal Esau's inheritance, and Esau got mad. And then finally, Jacob, he marries two, two women, one by mistake, the older sister, Leah, and then the younger, gorgeous bride, Rachel. And Jacob and Leah and Rachel have 12 kids. Jacob is renamed Israel. Israel means one who struggles or wrestles with God. That's what Israel means, one who wrestles with God. And Jacob has 12 kids, and those 12 kids become the 12 tribes. And so in Genesis chapter 35, we read about how Joseph, the second to the youngest of those 12 kids, number 11, Joseph, um, he informs his brother, I'm going to be greater than you. Um, one day I'll rule over all of you. And so they throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery, and they steal his coat of many colors, right? You picking up what we're putting down? We're in Genesis together. And finally, they end up in Egypt because there's a famine, and Joseph rises to second in command in Egypt. And so that's where they stay. That's where the book of Genesis ends, and then the book of Exodus begins. Exodus is a Greek word, ex like exoskeleton. Ex means outside. Hadas means road. So Exodus means the road out. And so 400 years go by, the little, this little family turns into a million people as they're protected by Joseph. And then the Pharaoh comes along and says, oh, what a great labor force. And they enslave Israel. And, the, and Israel is in captivity, in slavery for 400 years. So they forgot how to become being human beings, and they became human doings. A problem some of you suffer with. 
So Exodus is about the road out, and God then reveals himself in a brand new way. He reveals his name of Yahweh, the God who saves, the God who delivers, the God who, who sets people free. That's who God is. So they cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army follows, right? They, they win the battles, and they show up in Saudi Arabia, and there they camp out at Mount Sinai, and God reveals himself, and Moses goes up the mountain, and he gets 15 commandments, and then he drops one tablet. It's a Mel Brooks movie, and then... Uh, and it comes down with Ten Commandments, right? And then these amazing Ten Commandments is a way of, of how to be a human being and not a human doing, how to live under the covenant and love and protection of God, how to live not as an orphan but as a beloved son and daughter of the king, right? So that's, that's Leviticus. Leviticus um, takes place over two years. They camp out at Mount Sinai for almost two years. And Leviticus is this amazing um, book that... To know God and to be known by God. We named our son Levi after the book of Leviticus because the story of Leviticus is there is always a way back to God. That's the story of Leviticus. So all of the different offerings and all of the different rituals, they all just help this people who've been in slavery for 400 years figure out, wait a minute, I have a heavenly father. I'm his beloved child and I can be right with him, and he loves me. That's what the book of Leviticus is about. Then we have numbers. Numbers is literally the people of Israel are numbered, meaning they get organized. This is what my wife has done at this church, is the minister of congregational care. The first thing that April did when she took over the job this fall was that she established what the directory is of the church. She found out how many of us there were in the church with the help of Betty Potter and what the, what the phone numbers were of everybody. So she numbered everybody, right? And then, of course, they also wander in the wilderness for, for 35 or 40 years. And then Deuteronomy, that's the first five books of the Bible. Deuteronomy takes place over one day. It's Moses' last sermon, okay? It's one day. Um, Deuter means second Namas means law, so it's the second telling of the Ten Commandments and the law. That's what Deuteronomos means. And Deuteronomy starts like this. Read this with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now here it is. This is the beginning. This is the, this is the topic sentence of Moses' sermon. This is the heartbeat of Moses' last sermon. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you are to be on your hearts. Now Moses is going to tell us how to do that. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. He even says wrap them around your arms. Put them on your forehead. Put them on the doorposts of your house. Right, that you would understand that you are absolutely loved, that God has saves you and cares for you, and then begin to practice and live that out in your everyday life. And then the last chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses says this. This is right before he dies. He's telling this to Joshua, and he says, next verse, Sydney, he says, be strong and courageous. He's speaking to Joshua. He, he says, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors. Read this with me. Verse 8, it is the Lord, that's Yahweh, 
It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So Moses led Israel for 40 years. He spoke with, with God face to face like you would with a friend. This burning pillar of fire led them by night, and this cloud of this pillar of cloud led them by day. And Moses, in his 40 years of wandering, does something really helpful. He writes everything down. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He writes it all down. And he gives it to Joshua. And he says, Read this every day. Read it to the people every day. Have the people read this to their kids every day. Remember who you are. Remember what God has done for you. So for the first time, Israel, as the book of Joshua starts, they don't have Moses anymore. They don't have the pillar of fire and cloud. God is now in the tent of meeting, the Holy of Holies. But God is going to speak to Joshua, but it's not going to be the same as like it was with Moses. And for the first time, they have, so God is with them, but now they're reading God's word and relying on his promises. Sound familiar? This is where we are in life. Same place that Israel was at the beginning of Joshua. So let's read Joshua 1-1 together. After the death of Moses... Wait a minute, Joshua was the son of a nun? Sorry, Pastor Joe, keep on going. Or as Paul says, who was Joshua's parents? None. He was an orphan. Sorry, two bad pastor jokes from two good pastors. Here we go. Verse 2. So Moses is telling, so uh, God is speaking to Joshua. Ready? Verse 2. Here we go. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So Moses dies, and God doesn't give Joshua any time. You're in charge. He doesn't say, like, let's spend a year and, you know, get to know how it all works and take a poll and Find out what people want. He just says, nope, let's go. Here we go. Let's go now. Go ahead. Lead three million people. Now. Go. Y'all got packing to do. Oh, don't worry. I'll be with you. Every even piece of land that you put your foot on, I'll give to you. So Joshua had heard this before. Forty years earlier, God said the same thing to Moses. And so Moses decided that he would send 12 spies into the land. Do you remember what happened? Ten of them came back, said, there's giants living there. We're all going to die. Two of them said, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. This is going to be fantastic. One of those two spies was Joshua. So upon receiving this report, you know what Moses and the elders decided to do? To not go into the land. And as a result, God said, okay, you want to doubt what I've done? Then go ahead and wander. And you're going to wander until you die. 
And every person that does not trust me and does not doubt me will wander in this wilderness until they die. And then the people who trust me will be able to enter into the land. When God gives you a promise and you refuse to believe it, to act onto it, to live into it, it only causes you pain and misery. It's like having all the wedding gifts and never opening them. It's like having the tickets to Disney World and not going on the trip. After a while, you're going to resent the gift and the gift giver. Look, God is going to put opportunity after opportunity in front of you. He's going to give you a job opening. He's going to give you someone to help. He's going to give you a nudge. Pray for this person. Text them. Reach out to them. He's going to give you an idea that you could pursue and make into a dream. He's going to give you an opportunity and the urging to apologize and repent. In the middle of a temptation, God is going to give you a simple word that says stop. And you're going to have a choice. Do you trust him and obey? Or do you keep on living as though you're all alone and do what you want and live as an orphan? Sometimes we obey and sometimes we don't. But if you keep on asking God for blessings and help and things, and then you never actually obey and do them and live into them, you'll become frustrated and resentful that the Christian life isn't what you thought it would be. It'd be like Callista and Brent saying, I don't like being married. And what we would all say about Callista and Brent is, then just open the freaking gifts move in, live together, consummate your marriage, go to Disney World, like do it, then marriage will be better. And we're the same thing with God. Well, I don't, I don't, this thing, this Jesus guy isn't really working for me. I tried praying once. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like Jesus is the problem. <laughs> Just saying. Why do we so often fail to obey commands? As Pastor David Jackman says, we fail to obey commands because we do not really believe his promises. The two always go together. God commands Joseph or Joshua, go, go into the promised land. And then he promises, I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. Verse, one, or verse four, read with me. This is what God says to Joshua. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, that's north, and from the great river, the Euphrates, that's the middle of Iraq, all the Hittite country, that's south to Kuwait, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, that's all of northern Saudi Arabia. So here's a, here's a map of the Middle East, right? So it's the big, see, the big red thing is that's Saudi Arabia, and Egypt is there, it's yellow, and Baghdad is, is um, split pea, puke, soup, green. Uh, and so right in the middle through Baghdad is where the Euphrates Rivers runs. So the, let me just be really clear. The promised land that God gave Israel was basically the entire Middle East except Iran. 
Yeah. Hmm. What happened? What happened? Why is Israel so small? Why did they settle so little of the land? Well, you know why. I mean, you and I are in a battle right now to fully possess everything that God has already given us. We know what it's like to settle for scraps when we could be eating at that gorgeous, piled-upon-gorgeous buffet. We let our schedule, just our everyday schedule, be dictated by comforts rather than our commitments to God. We get fed up with being sick in our sin and resentment. We pray once, hoping that that will work, and then, and then we just stop. So I have a confession to make. I did an audit as I was writing this sermon. I spend more time watching Netflix than I do praying. Anybody want to confess that with me? <laughs> That's what my schedule reveals about my heart. That's me letting comfort dictate my schedule and my life. That's me settling. Do you spend more time eating out or more money eating out than giving to God's kingdom? Shall I keep on asking uncomfortable questions? So we know, right? We know what it's, un what it's like to unconsciously slide into settling and then we kind of chafe at being unsatisfied. We are Israel. There is never any shortage of power on God's part to help you, to bless you, to set you free. So what is it that you truly desire? Now, God continues to speak to Joshua. Notice what God promises. I want you to notice that God has promised, I'm going to give you every inch of land you, foot, you, you set foot on. Um, so notice what's God's job as he promises what's next. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God's job, number one, is to win your victories. God's job, number two, is to never leave you nor forsake you. God's job, number three, is to walk with you in your life every step of the way as you walk by faith into the promises God has given you. Does that make sense? So after God says this to Joshua... The moment God says this to you and to Joshua, I'll win your victories, I'll bless you, I'll help you as you walk in faith. You know what happens? <gasps> Doubt and fear and uncertainty creep in instantly. Well, I, can't, I, don't know, I don't even know how to do that. What is he talking about? This is so vague. Be more practical, Pastor Andy. God, can you just tell me what exactly to do next? How do I get three million people to start packing? I don't even have email. Like, what do I do? And immediately God says to Joshua, verse 6, read this with me. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So why does Joshua need the command to be strong and courageous? Because he wasn't. Can you relate? 
Say yes. yes. Thank you for encouraging your pastor. It was like. So what does it mean to be strong and courageous? Well, what's God's job? It's not to be strong and courageous doing God's job. It's to be strong and courageous doing Joshua's job. And what's Joshua's job? It's to walk. So keep on walking. Keep on moving forward. It takes strength and courage to do that. It's not entirely complicated. Just go. Well, the moment that you go, then you start saying, well, how, where do I go? How do I do this? Wait, what's going on? What do I have to do again? So God says this, verse 7. Ready? Be strong and very courageous. Because <laughs> Joshua's like us. It's like, okay, lead three million people. All right, let's go. Wait, what? Be strong and courageous. All right, I got this. Wait, now what, where am I going again? Be strong, be strong and very courageous. So now he's going to tell Joshua how to be strong and very courageous. What does it look like to lead into the pro What does it look like to go into the unknown? Ready? Here it is. Very practical advice. You want practical advice? God's giving it to you. I know it won't be the answer you want, but here it is. Read with me. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant gave you. that you may be successful wherever you go. So he's saying, look, don't make up your own rules. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right. Just follow directions. Look, the DVD player only looks one, works one way. You can't put a piece of toast into it. Just follow directions, right? Amen? Life works best when you follow God's direction. Don't turn to the left. Don't, you don't need to be creative. Just follow directions. He'll be with you. He'll help you. Verse 8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate. That's the word, the Hebrew word to chew. To gnaw on it. Like it's a stack of ribs. Right? Of course, they didn't eat ribs. or Maybe beef ribs. but <laughs> I'm talking baby back ribs. Okay? The new covenant is good. Right? <clears throat> chew on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. So God is saying, look, you want to be successful and prosperous in whatever you do next? Keep your heart close to me. In the Gospel of John, when two of John the Baptist's disciples were enamored with Jesus, they, they caught up and they're like, hey, Jesus, they asking questions, you know, and they're asking them about. And Jesus turns to them in, in chapter 1, uh, Verse 7, next slide, Sydney. He turns to them and he says, he doesn't ask them, what do you believe? He doesn't ask them, what do you know? What does he ask them? Huh. Well, why does Jesus ask them that? Because Jesus is teaching us something right now about our hearts. James K.A. Smith, he wrote this incredible book, You Are What You Want. He writes this, Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. So following Jesus, that's called discipleship. So James K.A. Smith writes this, Discipleship, read this with me, is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Do you have to know about Jesus? Yeah. 
Do you get to believe? Yeah, but it's more about hungering and thirsting. Keep on reading. Jesus' commands to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. Jesus is a teacher who is principally forming, who are trying to form and shape what we want. Why? Because your heart propels you forward. What you want, what you love, determines how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you, how you deal with conflict. And so James K.A. Smith sums, up, sums it up like this. We are what we love because we live toward what we want. So God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And Joshua's thinking, well, how do I do this? And God says, well, be careful to obey my laws. Love me with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul and all your mind. Meditate, chew on my promises day and night. This is how we move forward into what God has promised for us next. This is how we walk into the good things God has for us next, this next day, tomorrow, next week, next month, the last 10 years of your life, wherever you are in your journey. It's to meditate and to chew on God's law. It's to seek him first. It's to love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But Pastor Andy, well, that's not very practical. You're being too vague. How do I do that? Well, yes, it is practical. It's impractical to move into the next adventure or to move through a conflict as though you're all alone. Amen? That makes no sense. You're not. April has this little song that she sings to me. The tune is never the same. But when she sees me freaking out, she says this, You are not alone. You are not alone. You're not alone. And I go, oh, yeah. And my anxiety goes down, and I stop being a turd. You can, you, you can, sing, that to, you can, you can sing that to your spouse as well, or yourself. I am not alone, even though I'm acting like it. It's great. I sing her a song, too. It's called Magic Eyes when she can't find what she's looking for. I just sing, magic eyes, magic, and then she finds it. <laughs> Why is this practical advice to seek God when we don't know what to do next? It's practical because it's not very practical to continue driving yourself into stress and anxiety, which lowers your IQ, by living like an orphan when you could get the rest and wisdom that you need by actually seeking God first. Does that make sense? That's impractical. We want answers. God is giving you answers. So let me ask you a question. What do you really want? Now, the cool thing about our hearts is that we can actually train our hearts to want different things. How do we do this? Well, we form new habits. We start new practices. 
new practices where I start feeding my heart new food, training my heart to find joy and rest and peace, not in Netflix or in chocolate, but in God's presence. Make sense? So let's put it all together. Read with me. You are what you love. Your ultimate loves are formed by your daily habits and practices. Thus, your daily practices and habits fundamentally shape who you are, which means learning to love God takes practice. Learning to love God takes practice. So let's go back to Joshua. God's not done talking to this brand new leader. For a fifth time between Deuteronomy chapter 33, which is the last chapter, and Joshua chapter 1, for the fifth time, God says this to Joshua. Ready? Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Joshua does something very rare in Israel's history. Very rare. He trusts God. The book of Jonah is all about how God, Jonah doesn't trust God. I mean, Moses' story is about how God, he trusts God sometimes and then not other times. Like every, almost every other leader is a train wreck. Joshua actually trusts God. And this is what he says to Israel. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. That is so amazing. So incredible. God gave directions to Joshua. He told him a half a dozen times, be strong and courageous. And Joshua went, okay, I'll follow directions. So God's job is to be with you. God's job is to win your battles. God's job is to never leave you nor forsake you. Your job is to practice loving God. Can you do that? There's like four of you convinced. Let me ask you a question. Can you practice loving God? Yes. How? Ready? Here it is. I'm going to show you how right now. Pray this simple prayer this week. Not once, but every day. It goes like this. Pray it with me. Lord Jesus, form my heart to love what you love. Be strong and courageous. Don't stop praying this prayer. Be strong and courageous. Don't stop praying this prayer. Be strong and courageous. Don't stop praying this prayer. Let's pray it again. Lord Jesus, form my heart to love what you love. And what does God love? Who does God love? Jesus. You. This is so incredible that in order to get you into the promised land, Jesus took the penalty of all your rebellion and sin so that you don't have to wander in the wilderness and die alone. He took all the penalty of your sin so that you can have his inheritance. The promised land now and for all eternity. This is what you're going to discover when you pray this prayer. That the first thing that God loves is he's head over heels in love with you. 
and that will change everything in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the simplicity of what you ask us to do. That we get to walk forward into the next thing that you have for us and that your job is to do the heavy lifting. And so, Jesus, we now lay down trying to do your job. We set it aside. We renounce the lie in Jesus' name that we have to win all of our battles ourselves. We renounce the lie in Jesus' name that it's up to our good behavior that will keep you around. That you'll never leave us nor forsake us as long as we obey perfectly all the time. We reject that lie in Jesus' name. And we now rest under the great banner of your love. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together. But that we can simply walk with you. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, form my heart to love what you love, to love who you love. You've got to do this work in us, Jesus. We can't do it our own. Lead us into the promised land. Lord, bless and seal all these good things in the hearts of my friends today. I pray against all the enemy's plans to take them away and steal from them now. In Jesus' name, bless them this day. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand for the